love and peace and hope are Christian realities that I hope we've been trying to embrace during this Advent season, this four weeks leading up to Christmas where the church world um, sets time aside to anticipate the coming of Christ. And I hope that as we highlight each of these every week, that you can take some time in your own life during the week and you can look at how these qualities are evident and hopefully growing inside of you, that that your hearts um, are filled with the love of Jesus more and more. That peace is, um, you're grounded in peace. That you have um, security because of the hope that comes in Christ. These are the greatest types of gifts we could ever have at Christmas. And they're the gifts that I believe the Lord loves to give to us um, as we live our lives in communion with Him. That these are the things He wants to grow and develop within us. So today we're going to think about hope. And as we do that, we're going to light our Advent wreath. So the first one we said is love. And then we talked about peace. And today we talk about hope. What's next week? Joy, the pink candle. And so today we think about hope. And to understand hope, the hope of Christmas, we need to understand something else today. That the Christmas story does not begin with the baby in a manger. That might you say, well, that's the very beginning of it. No, it's not. The Christmas story does not begin with a baby in a manger. Nor does it begin with wise men from the east following a bright star in the sky and coming to find the promised deliverer. Rather, the Christmas story begins in the beginning, which is the beginning of the whole book. The Christmas story begins in the beginning with the creation of all things. That's because the manger is part of a much larger story. The story of God's loving interaction with our world that he created and he set in motion and that he sustains right now and he oversees this great plan that he is unfolding in front of us. You see that as we look back to the beginning, we see something. We see that soon after God speaks the world into existence, that the story, as we know, and we talked about last week, takes a dark turn. That Adam and Eve um, indulge their desires for the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that sin corrupts all creation, and that death and decay replace life and abundance, and it seems like all is lost. But God, we're going to find out, has and had an eternal plan. That even amid the darkness and sin that came into the world from the very beginning, there's hope. God meets face to face with with these fallen couple, Adam and Eve. And he outlines their fate. And I want us to look at this this morning in the very beginning of Scripture in Genesis. Chapter 3. God is, is meeting with Adam and Eve after They've chosen to reject his way and go the enemy's way. And God tells them what their fate will be. And this is what he says, Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 9. He says this, Then the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you are naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, 
the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go in the dust and you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed and he shall bruise you on your head and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, And have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread. Till you return to the ground because it is from where you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you will return. Look what the Lord says after Adam and Eve chose to reject God's way and choose the enemy's way. He says, what is the outcome? What is your fate? He says, first of all, ladies, there will be pain in childbirth. And not a man in this room understands just what that really looks like. Some of us have seen it. I know when I watched Suzanne have Josh, I called my mom and apologized for everything I'd ever done wrong. And I honestly did. I'm like, oh my goodness. I never understood. God was right. He said, I'll multiply pain in childbirth, and and that's part of the fate. He also looks at Adam, and he says, basically, your labor is going to be unproductive. We're in the garden. Everything was in abundance now because they're out of the garden. He says, you'll basically barely get by by the sweat of your face. He's you're going to toil, and you're going to work, and you're just going to eke by. And and so many of us understand that's what this world is like, that in this world, you, you work very high, hard just to just to make ends meet and 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 that's the fate they were removed from the garden and they lived out their fate but in the midst of the penalty for rebellion all this pain and all this struggle that would lay ahead for them and all of mankind god weaves into the story hope he says your son eve would bruise the serpent's head satan's head And he would bruise his heel. It's a foreshadowing. It's looking down to the day that that descendant would actually crush the head of the serpent. It's the earliest promise of a deliverer in scripture. A deliverer from all of the results of the rejection of God's way. All the results of sins, prison, and effects upon mankind. That God looks at and says, this is your fate. But in the midst of the fate, I'm giving you a glimmer of hope. As we look at Scripture then, over the next 2,000 years recorded in Scripture, God acts through the events of recorded biblical history, and He makes a nation, the nation of Israel, and through the voice of the prophets of Israel, He continually reminds humanity that a deliverer would come one day, that there is reason to hope. And that's what we find from the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 7, the prophet has a message with a dual application. It's a message of of warning and a message of hope. 
Isaiah 7, 14, the prophet says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. What had two applications? First of all, Isaiah was a real man at a real time and he was speaking this to a real king, the king Ahaz. You see, Ahaz had not been following the Lord And instead, he was looking to outsiders instead of God for help. And he was looking to Assyria at this time to deliver him. And the context around that is saying that he had rejected God and instead had gone looking to the Assyrians to help him out. And and this comes then as a warning to him, foretold him of a day that that the people of God, that, that under Ahaz would be judged and destroyed. And he says that timing of when that would happen was tied to the birth of a child from a young woman. That was the context of that situation when Isaiah spoke that prophecy. But like so many prophecies, this prophecy had another application. This prophecy was all about hope. This prophecy's ultimate fulfillment would be realized in the birth of Jesus Christ by Mary, the virgin. That her son would be called Emmanuel. God is with us. And from Isaiah's time forward, The people of God continued to look to the day when the promised deliverer would rescue them from their sin and their oppression. That God himself, Emmanuel, would rescue them. And they had hope. But then God became silent. For 600 years, no more prophecies were given. For 600 years, God's people waited. For 600 more years, they held that promise that Emmanuel would come someday. And for 600 years, the people of God hoped. Then at last, when it seemed like hope was beginning to be lost, it was fading. A child was born in the most humble of circumstances. The salvation of the world was wrapped, it says, in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger in a lowly feeding box in a stable. And Emmanuel had come. The promise had come. Jesus was born and the angels announced it and the angels celebrated and they told the shepherds what was going on. Let's look at what they had to say in Luke chapter 2. In Luke 2, we have the angels in the field announcing What is happening on the day that Jesus is born? Luke 2, starting in in verse 8. It says, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over the flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He's Christ the Lord. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the Deliverer. He is Emmanuel. Their hope had been fulfilled. Jesus is born. Their hope was fulfilled even though they didn't understand that their hope was fulfilled. Church, this is the hope we celebrate during Advent. This is the hope we celebrate, that we have hope because of Jesus. That Jesus has come, is here, is with us, that we have hope. And like the people of God, who for those thousands of years looked forward to Jesus' coming, the promise of a deliverer, 
like that, our hope is also something that's rooted in the future, something we look forward to. Now, we are blessed, unlike those people, to be living in an age where Jesus has already come and has established his eternal kingdom, and we can enter into it and live in the reality of his nearness and, and, and live in the reality of his reign in our current situation, that we can live in the kingdom of God, something that they only longed for. But like all those who look forward with hope to Jesus' coming, our hope is also rooted in the future. You see, Jesus' first coming as our suffering Savior, as the God-man who came into our world to reveal who God really is and to deal with the sin problem that started back with Adam and Eve, that he dealt with the sin and the death through his own death and resurrection, that same Jesus has promised to come again. That same Jesus has promised that he is going to come again, this time not as a baby in the manger who's going to live a perfect life and give his life as the the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, but this time he's going to come back as a conquering king to set up his eternal, all-encompassing kingdom once and for all. You see, as Christians, we look forward with hope to Jesus' second coming where he will rule and reign with mankind in a renewed heaven and a renewed earth forever, never to leave again. A time when scriptures say sin will be destroyed and God's children will live in a resurrected glory with him. Friends, look what the apostle Paul has to say about this in the book of the letter he wrote to the church in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 14, he says this, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Friends, a day is coming when it says the trumpet will blow. And Jesus will return for his children. And from that moment on, we will forever be with the Lord, it says. Friends, no more battles with with sin in your life. No more battles with sickness and pain. No more battles with conflict. That's the promise. And friends, Christmas reminds us that, that this is true. Christmas reminds us that our hope is secure. You see, Jesus, who came the first time in fulfillment of prophecy... The promise had started in the beginning and it was, it was reinforced through the prophets for thousands of years. Jesus was the fulfillment, the baby in the manger. Jesus who came the first time will come again, it says, to make all things right. And we can trust that. We can believe that he's coming again because he kept his promise the first time. Scripture was laid out and said, this is what's going to happen. And all these things happen to fulfill that promise. And because he came the first time and we, can, we know we can look back and say it happened. Therefore, we have confidence that he is going to come again. Christmas reminds us 
We always think of Christmas as a babe in a manger, but Christmas reminds us that Jesus came the first time and Jesus is going to come again. Theologian John Zizelis had a wonderful way of expressing this about the promise of the future. He says this, the Christian community has its roots in the future and its branches in the presence. I want you to, in the present. I want you to visualize this word picture that he's trying to create for us. He says, for Christians, our security, our hope is, a, is in a definite future. That because of Christmas, Jesus came the first time and a promise he's going to come back again. We have this, this promise of a definite future. He's saying, we know the future. Our roots of stability is in the future. We know the future. Jesus is coming back. God wins. Jesus reigns. Every know the future. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. That's the future. The future is new heaven, new earth, new bodies. Who's ready for a new body? Right? That's the secure future. And, and what, what John was trying to express here is that the future is secure. Because Jesus came the first time, he can, we can trust him to come the second time. That's a secure future. We know we can trust the promises. That's the root of our tree. And the tree grows back to us. The future is a secure part. We live in a lot of insecurity right now. There's a lot of things going on that we don't know how they're going to turn out from here to there. But here's the reality. After there... We know what it is. Yesterday we had some missionaries here. We were celebrating a Christmas party for all of our itinerary missionaries and our superintendent was here. And I'll say this because she left and our superintendent said, how is Suzanne doing? And I said, we don't know. I said, but this is what we know, John. It was probably influenced by what I was going to talk about today. I said, you know what, John? I don't know about tomorrow and the day after, but I know about 10,000 days after that. I said, I know what 10,000 days after that looks like. It's new bodies and new heaven and new earth. It's Jesus ruling and reigning. That's the future. We know it's secure. Our future is secure. We know that, that, that Jesus, because he came once, is coming back again. And the new heaven and new earth and new bodies are for us. And out of that future... The reality of our lives flow like branches back to us. Because our future is secure and glorious, therefore we have hope and confidence today. Not just tomorrow, today. Friends, Christmas, that's why Christmas is a time of hope. It's a time of hope because we know the end of the story. We know the end of the story. Jesus is alive and well and seated at the right hand of the Father. And it says he's interceding for each one of us right now. And that he is coming again to completely establish his rule and his reign in his kingdom on earth. And all his followers will be part of it. So we have hope in a secure future. But friends, it doesn't end there. Because we have hope in a secure future, the branches of hope extend back into our present day. So Jesus, therefore, is the living reality for us today. You see, Christianity isn't just about then. Christianity is also about now. That we place our hope in Jesus for our lives today. So no matter what you're going through today, 
Christmas reminds us of the hope that not only is our secure future, our, our future secure, but the branches of the reality of Christ extend to our lives today. And we can trust him as we walk through anything that life might unfold in front of us. That, 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 that we have this place of hope in Jesus for our lives today. And the promise of a secure future tomorrow. Do we know when Jesus is coming back? No. Could it be today? Yes. Do I hope it's today? Yes. But you know what? If, it's in, if, it's, if I go by the way of the grave and you go by the way of the grave, the future is still just as secure. Christmas reminds us. Yes, it's about a baby in a manger. But Christmas reminds us of the hope we have. That our hope is secure. And that we can stand on that hope today because the roots of the tree of our lives are rooted in a secure promise of the future. Christmas reminds us that it's not a fairy tale because, we, because he fulfilled it all the first time, he's going to fulfill it again. Amen? Why don't the worship team come this morning? This is what I know. Life isn't always easy. Amen? Amen. We have struggles and we have challenges we have joys and we have victories. And we have a living Savior. The one who came as a baby in a manger and now rules as Savior and Lord. And He is here for you now, today, by His Spirit. And so, my question for you today, or my questions, for you today is what do you need from Jesus he's immensely larger than anything you can imagine there's nothing that he can't do what do you need from Jesus bring those things to him today what questions do you have for Jesus what are the things in your life that it's just you need an answer Ask him today. See, Christmas, as we've said, is all about hope. Hope in a God who loves you and wants the best for you right now. And friends, if your hope is fading, like I have to believe the children of God were the people of God for 600 years of silence, their hope was fading. If your hope is fading, I believe that today Jesus wants to renew your hope. That's what I feel the Spirit of the Lord told me for today. He wants to renew and restore your hope. And so I'm going to challenge you today. Don't just run off this morning if your hope is fading. Rather run to Jesus. Don't run off. Instead, run to Jesus. We're going to have a song in a minute. When we do that, find a place to pray. Kneel at your seat. Come to the front and pray. Find a place. If your hope is fading, run to Jesus. You need an answer. Run to Jesus. You need healing. Run to Jesus. You have questions. Run to Jesus. Because I believe God wants to rekindle your hope today. Maybe you're here today and you haven't ever put your hope in Jesus. 
you've maybe been in church your whole life, but you've never put your hope in Jesus. Your hope is in you. Here's what I know about your hope being in you. That's pretty hopeless. Yeah, if everything's going smooth, it's fine. But when everything, when life gets, gets rocky, you realize how hopeless it is just trusting in you. But Christmas reminds us that this is eternal plan. That from the beginning, God started this plan. And the Bible says this, that even before that beginning of the world, He knew you. That's what it says in the scriptures. He knew you. And His plan for you was to come to know His Son, Jesus, for salvation. So if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, you can do that today. In your heart, you can say, Jesus, I might not know all that's involved in this right now. But something inside of me is saying that I need you. And friends, that something is the Spirit of God pulling you. Something inside is saying that that you're ready to stop being the one you depend on. Meaning that that in this world there's got to be something more stable And that something is God. And so today, you say, Jesus, I'm coming to you. I need you. I'm alone and I'm scared. And I've been trying to do it on my own and try to do it my own way and it's not working. And today I come to you. And I ask you, As I come to you, would you just wipe out the junk of my past? Would you give me a fresh start? Would you help me to know that you're here with me in this moment? And from this moment on, I want to give my life to you. I want to to follow after you. and, And I'm not sure what that all means, but help me to follow after you. And so Jesus, from today, all the days of my life, I want to I want to do my best to, to know you and to follow you. So receive me today as your child. I promise you, friend, if you open up your heart and just simply welcome the Lord in like that and give your life over to him, he will always